0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's word and see what he has in store for us today. We're reading, we're going through the second chapter of this book today. If I'm back, I guess is how I pronounce it. <laughs> Correctly. Like an American. American. <laughs> American. Okay. Does anybody remember what we read in chapter one? There's a lot to unpack in chapter one, I will say.
1: Anything? Spark notes? Spark notes? Largely Habakkuk was asking like why God was allowing so much strife in the world and God responded with saying that he would be sending more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <That's all> <laughs> it. Roasted.
2: yeah. So we mostly went over. Uh, half a cookies complaint.
0: <laughs> what was his complaint?
2: Um, uh, that these, worst people were gonna come and take over. Well, that wasn't his first complaint. That was a second complaint. But um, his complaint was that uh. God's chosen people were. Having a lot of uh, bad things happen to them. Yeah. Pretty
0: much. His first complaint is pretty much how long, how long God must I cry out for help because you don't listen. Violence is everywhere. Come and save us. And there's a lot of violence and destruction everywhere and a lot of bad people and injustice around and God's response is hey, get ready, because something's about to happen that you're not even going to believe, and I'm going to use your enemy to conquer you to teach you guys a lesson. And and then Habakkuk is like, wait, that's not the answer I wanted. Mm -hmm. You're going to answer my cry of, where are you, and why is there all this evil, with more evil? And... We're about to get into God's response of that today. Really, really great stuff. I'm super excited about this. Um, to be honest, this is one of those chapters where I kind of read it and I'm like, yeah, I feel like this is going to be like a, like a 10 minute Bible study week. And then the more I went into it, I was like, wow, Habakkuk two could be like a whole series like from, there's so much in here, um, So I'm excited to dig in with you guys. Does anybody want to start reading from Habakkuk? We're actually going to start with the... um, Oh, no, never mind. It already starts with that. One through... One second here. Let's start with one through three.
3: I'll start. Go for it. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the re- revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay.
0: Cool. So, what's he saying so far? What's God saying?
3: Don't uh, um hold back on what you want to say. Make it known. Like, um, I think recently one of the sermons that one of my pastors did was like write it down. Um, and don't like linger on it. So that when I hear write down the revelation, I'm like yes, write it down. Make it known. Practice it. Put it on a post-it note. Stick it somewhere. You know, if you're have something on your mind, don't um linger on it because you may lose it. So and make make it like. Uh, so that way you can not have it linger like it says so it Mm -hmm. goes straight to the point
2: I think he's saying pay attention yeah Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, get ready I'm about
4: to tell you something erase yourselves buckle up here
2: comes the mic drop mode yeah
4: exactly (laughs) and I think he's also preparing them that the revelation that he is speaking of it is not going to happen now and it is not going to happen immediately the way you want things to happen Mm -hmm.
0: So I discovered a a fun, um, something I didn't realize on the Bible app this week. Um, When you're in certain translations, um, there are summaries, intros, before each book. Mm -hmm. So, for example, NIV version, you know, you click on Habakkuk for what book you want to read, and then instead of just seeing 1, 2, and 3 as the option for the chapters, you see intro 1, 2, and Mm 3, which are like, oh, what's this? and why didn't I wow. ever see this before? And I had switched over to NIV to look at a different translation, and I was like, wait a second, it wasn't there a minute ago, and I realized it's it's with the translation. So it's a cool little thing to see Like if you're in the NIV version, or if you want to switch over for a little intro about what's going on b- with any book in the Bible, you can go to the NIV version. There might be others too, but that's what I saw so far, and there's a little intro to each book.
3: I just found that. That is amazing.
0: Yeah, it's it gives a really mm-hmm. nice summary. Uh, This is one part that I found from this that I, I really like kind of tells of what's going on here. Habakkuk's second question. Why do you allow the wicked to swallow up those more righteous than ourselves? God replies again, explaining that the Babylonians will be judged just like the Assyrians, and that the righteous must await this in faith and patience. The inevitability of Babylon's doom is emphasized when God pronounces a series of five woes against it. Um, actually, I don't recall if that was from that intro. Or if that it was is. From it is. Okay. I thought so, but I wasn't sure because I didn't mark it here. But it, it gives a nice intro to what is going on here. And it gives a nice context because if you don't know, if you're just jumping right in, we kind of jumped right into Habakkuk and, you know, I didn't give a whole lot of intro as far as timeline and all that stuff. But that's a little bit about what's going on. But... In verse 1, Habakkuk is waiting for the Lord's response. And I think this is crucial. That it's important to wait. I found this really great quote that I'm going to first read the actual quote. And then I'm going to read it in um, a Ben's more updated language translation. Prayer is a Christian's angel or seed. Dove messenger, and it must be looked after. Who shoots an arrow or casts a bowl and takes not notice where it lights? They that observe not the answer of their prayers do as scoffing Pilate, who asked in scorn of Christ, "What is truth?" But stayed not for an answer. So here is the more updated language of this in in my version of this quote. Prayer is a Christian's angel or messenger, and must be looked after. Who shoots an arrow and wouldn't wait to see where it lands? Those that do not observe the answer of their prayers are doing as a scoffing pilot did by asking Jesus what is truth and not actually staying tuned for the answer. So Habakkuk is here in verse 1 saying, I'm going to climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. He didn't just shoot his complaint. Hey God, um, actually, I don't like your response, so change it. Okay, I'll come back when it's changed. That's not what he's doing. He's going. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wait and see what the Lord says and how He'll answer my complaint. He's waiting, and waiting isn't a passive action. It's it's active. You're. It's not just. Sitting there waiting, just watching TV, just scrolling, waiting. It's not killing time, it's a waiting for the Lord. And it's it, it'd be like shooting an arrow, as this quote said shooting like who would shoot an arrow, take the time to draw the bow, put it on, pull it back, aim, look for a target, shoot, and then like, okay. okay, next, and then. Draw it back. You're aiming, you're focusing, you gotta hold your breath. Okay, what am I gonna shoot at? And not looking, it'd, it'd be pointless. Why would you shoot if you're not even gonna look where you're shooting at, what you're gonna do? This is saying it's the same thing with prayer. Why are you just gonna shoot off a prayer and not wait and not see what the Lord is gonna do with it? And I think it's something to so easily look over of just like, cool, he's just waiting for God. But that's something active that you gotta do. And and follow up with Jesus says, "Pray without ceasing repeat repetitively, pray for the same thing over and over and over. Verse two says, So he may run who reads it can someone who has um it doesn't quite say an NLT, but almost every other version says it. Um, who has a version that's not NLT? I do. Me. Alright. Uh, somebody want to read uh, just, just verse 2.
2: And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it.
0: So he may run who reads it. Not so... I'm get my thought straight here. It doesn't say, he who runs may read it. It says, he may run who reads it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The running, the activity, you know, the act of running, comes forth from God's word. Those who read it would have to be able to run with it. It's not, okay, those, hold on, um, um, I'm not getting my point across here, hold on. Whoever reads God's word here that Habakkuk is writing down, so that they would run with it, so that they would take his answer here and run with it. Anyone who is reading can run with it. Not just so that a runner can deliver a message, but so those who are having the message and are reading it will do something about it, will run with it.
2: Yeah, my, mine has a little uh, footnote thing here. It says, Write the vision. This word, vision, commonly refers to the prophetic message from God. See First Chronicles seventeen fifteen, Proverbs nineteen eighteen. 18. Um, this message was... Uh, was to be a permanent witness, since it would not be imminently fulfilled. The content may be the entire book of Habakkuk, or some shorter portion, so he may run who reads it. This may refer to a herald spreading the message throughout the nation, or more generally, to anyone fleeing the coming judgment. Mm -hmm.
3: Cool. Mine also over here
2: says that he wanted the people to understand without room of misinterpretation or doubt of what he was saying when he was talking about the revelation and making it plain on the tablets, like write it down exactly how it is, so no one can misinterpret it or doubt, like what exactly he's
4: saying right now. Hmm. They don't use like big vocab words and like crazy. Yeah, like Gary can
0: understand. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he's, it's still a very poetic way about how he wrote everything here, and which we, which we hit on last week with with the poetic style of writing. It helps it become more memorable, right? You know, I read. I read a little poem, right? A a non-original poem, unfortunately. Um, right? You could just say "I love you," and it gets the point across. Or you could write something, you know, however cheesy it may be, but it more poetic. It gets a, a point across, and it, it delivers it better and it's more memorable. Um. And you'd be like, "Oh yeah, wow!" You know, you mentioned about you know doing this in the poem, like that shows the love as opposed to just saying "I love you," which are words. As opposed to expressing it. So he's writing it clearly. All right, verse 3. What's God saying about, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently? That almost seems like, hey, um, it seems like this is taking a while. Um, I'm becoming impatient. Um, what should I do? He's like, wait patiently. It's like, ah it will surely take place. It will not be delayed.
5: My um, filament note says, will surely take place in a set future time known only to the Lord. He will intervene in earth's history and bring it to a pop- proper culmination. Vindicating the righteous and judging the world, God's people must wait patiently knowing that the divine plan is on schedule. See Hebrews ten thirty-five 35-38
0: we mm, we're going to be getting to that soon. Nice. Alright, let's read 4 through 8. Who wants to take that? I got it. Go for it. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires
6: are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, "Woe to him who's pile, who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion! How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey, because you have plundered many nations. The peoples, the peoples who are left, will plunder you." For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's going on here? Thoughts, comments, observations?
4: I think God is, uh, he's the revelation to these people that he, I think he's talking about. He's speaking, because he's speaking of the end, speaking of those who would be judged. So like back in, have a cook. However you say it, you have a cook. The first one where his Lord, Lord's answer, where uh, or yeah, where Lord's answer where he's talking about, like they are feared and dreaded people. They are involved themselves and promote their own honor. I think he's talking about the same people, mm-hmm. like these same type of unrighteous people that are living not of God's will. I think that he's giving this revelation to them more so. I think maybe to better. Answer maybe Habakkuk's second complaint, hmm. like what, like where is this going, God? Where, where is this end going? Why are you doing this?
0: My translation says uh, in the beginning of verse four, "Look at the proud," and it's talking about their demise, essentially, to come of of the proud, those were, yeah.
3: Ben, sorry, are we on verse two
0: or verse three? Uh, four through eight. Oh, okay. So pride is everywhere, and it takes all different shapes. I found this, uh, this thing that kind of laid it out, and I was, I had to think about it, and I think I'm on board with it. I'm curious your guys' thoughts. Here is the rich man, proud of what he has. There is the poor man, proud of his honor in having less. Here is the talented man, proud of what he can do. There is the man of few talents, proud of his hard work. Here is the religious man, proud of his religion. There is the unbeliever, proud of his unbelief. There is the established man, proud of his place in society. There is the counter cultured man, proud of his outcast status. There's the learned man, proud of his intelligence and learning. And there's the simple man, proud of his simplicity. All in all, saying that pride is everywhere and takes all sorts of shapes. That everyone is full of pride in one way or, another, one way or another. I have this quote from Charles Spurgeon, who I end up quoting kind of often lately. Uh, but he really hits on this. This is what Spurgeon says of pride. If there is a sin that is universal, it is this. Speaking of pride. Where is it not to be found? Hunt among the highest and loftiest in the world, and you shall find it there. Then go and search among the poorest and the most miserable, and you shall find it there. There may be as much pride inside a beggar's rags as in a prince's robe. And a harlot, prostitute, may be as proud as a model of Chastity. Chastity. Pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its longings. It will live comfortably enough in a palace, and it will live equally at its ease in a hovel or a dump or a hole. Is there any man in whose heart pride does not lurk? What do you guys think about that?
4: It's very interesting. even someone that has that thinks they have no pride or they think like even like when you said the, like all those things I was like yeah those are pretty prideful things but then, right when you went to like the simple man even he finds pride in his simplicity mm-hmm. I was like man even wow we're going that with that just how much pride do we actually have in everything that we do and everything that we have even in our religion or even in our man I get I, man I'm a Christian I get to I'm saved or I get to praise God having pride even in that I was just, that's just what I'm thinking. I was like, should we, like, then I'm asking myself, well, then how do I get rid of that pride? Where, how, what is that? A bad pride versus a good pride? That just brings up even more questions. That's a good question. And, yeah.
0: That's, that's a great thing. What do you guys think? Because it's good to be proud of what you do. Exactly. It's, it's not that, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that all pro, all forms of pride are bad because, you know, you want to take pride in what you do. You want to do it, you know, God even says everything you do, do to the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Do it as though you're working for the Lord. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do, you're not going to serve the Lord and do it poorly. You're going to do it to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And I think it's perfectly fine to be pleased with your serving, to be happy, to be enjoying what you do. You know, I'm, I'm proud of what I do at work. I'm proud of, you know... Leading a Bible study, I'm proud of, you know, my marriage. I'm proud of my friend. Like I'm, um, that doesn't mean like oh sin, 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 sin. Like I don't think that's the case. But what do you guys think? Where where is the line, or when does pride become sin, or when does pride become a bad thing versus a good thing? Yeah.
2: So, here we go for my uh, my weekly near Christianity reference. Right. Yes. Um, C.S. Lewis. It, it absolutely broke me with this chapter uh, years ago. It's, it's called The Great Sin. Um, it's like Book 3, Chapter 8, I think. Um, and, and he goes over a lot of it. I'm going to skip to the middle of it because that's what you were just talking about. He says, Before leaving this subject, I must guard against some possible misunderstandings. Pleasure in being praised is not pride. The child who is patted on the back for doing a lesson well... The woman whose beauty is praised by her lover, the saved soul whom Christ says, Well done, are pleased and ought to be. For here the pleasure lies not in what you are, but in the fact that you have pleased someone you wanted and rightly wanted to please. The trouble begins when you pass from thinking, I have pleased him, all is well, to thinking, What a fine person I must be to have done it. The more you delight in yourself and the less you delight in the praise, the worse you are becoming. When you delight wholly in yourself and do not care about praise, the praise at all, you have reached the bottom. That is why vanity, though it is the sort of pride which shows the most on the surface, is really the least bad and most pardonable sort. The vain person wants praise, applause, admiration too much and is always angling for it. It is a fault, but a childlike and even in an odd way, a humble fault. Hmm. It shows that you are, completely, you are not yet completely content... Uh, with your own admiration, you value other people enough to want them to look at you. You are, in fact, still human. The real black diabolical pride comes when you look down on others so much that you do not care what they think of you. Of course, it is very right, and often our duty um, not to care what people think of us. If we do so for the right reason, namely because we are so incomparably more we care so incomparably more what God thinks. But the proud man has a different reason for not caring, and then he continues on. Interesting. Like, well, yeah, but
0: I—that's great.
2: It's—it's oh, it's so good. It's I can't even tell you um, how much this particular chapter changed my life.
0: So to put it plainly, and um, more simplified than all that, where is the line, or when does it turn bad?
5: Like I said, we
3: talked about last week when
6: we're questioning, if we're questioning God or we asking the question, it's just based on your attitude towards it. Um, And like how you are perceiving it. Well, my focus has shifted from like, as believers our job is to reflect Christ to the world, but also point the world back to Christ from us. Like Like, we're just supposed to be a mirror. And the second that that mirror stops reflecting back to Jesus towards an unbeliever, and it's just looking at us. That's the problem.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Everything we do, everything we should do needs to be pointed back towards Him. And when that, when the object of our affection, attention, and desires and pursuits shifts from the glorification of Him to even just the people pleasing within our hearts or just our own personal desires, like, like what C.S. Lewis is saying, is like, you know, me pleasing my teacher in my class or me doing the job that my boss wants me to do to the best of my ability and the excellence... That's not a bad thing. When they reward me for that, that's not a bad thing. But when the desire is for them to look at me and say, look how good he is. He did a good job. Instead of, you did a good job. Great, thank you Jesus for letting me put my effort into this and giving me the opportunity. Like, That's where that perception comes in, in my opinion. And I think too, it's unique that dare I go so far to say is pride is the only thing that unites every single human being on this planet. Like there, There's pride in something. Even if you're in a crappy situation, you can have pride in some form, shape, or way. And so like, I think that's the biggest barrier that, as a believer, trying to talk to an unbeliever, that you have to get past is that pride. Right. And I, I just had that thought as we started reading about the pride, is that everybody's got it. Mm-hmm. Every single person. Yeah, so, it's true. It's part, of the, it's part of the first sin. I mean, mm-hmm. they
7: sinned because they wanted to be like God. Right. Instead of just getting their place before God, they wanted to be like him. Mm-hmm. So it's part of
3: right.
7: you know, what the original sin was. Yeah. So the answer for, you know, how we're not full of pride is to submit ourselves to God. Mm-hmm. Because just like everybody said, if you if you do everything for the glory of God, then you are not the end of all things. Right. Absolutely. It's not about mm-hmm. you. It's never no. about you. So everything that mm-hmm. you do points at him. Right. Mm-hmm. But Anyone who doesn't follow Jesus and doesn't point Jesus as their first That they are the end of something or something else is not God. So we're putting our Worship in the wrong place Mm because it's not going to Him. Absolutely. So it's just submitting ourselves to God
6: Mm I heard something the other day that shocked me is like our job as believers is not to imitate Christ but to be continually transformed by Christ and that that wrecked me for about two days it's like, well, doesn't Paul say we're supposed to be imitators of Christ? But in, in the sense of when we just try and, like, for me, when I try and imitate, then the focus becomes on my behavior, what I'm doing, what I can do to correct it, and instead of allowing God's transformative work to continue to work through me. And when the focus is on what he's doing in me, by default I naturally start becoming an imitator of him. And so, it's, he's the end-all be-all.
0: It's great. At like that point. Good stuff, guys. Yeah. Um, I think God is really saying here, like, I know how to deal with pride. I I know what I'm about to do. So, verse 4. This uh, this brief statement in verse 4 of, But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Is a statement that is not the most, but one of the most um, quoted Old Testament statements found in the New Testament. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, Paul used it to show that the the just live by faith, not by the law, and that being under the law isn't the way to be found just before God, but only living by faith is. So I've got... Three references here that I want to just dig in a little bit on. Um, Jackie, you had mentioned one of them. Um, so you want to take, um, I think Hebrews you mentioned 10, Hebrews 10. 10, 10 yeah. Um, Hebrews 10.38 is, is is the mark, but you can do 35 through 38. Um, somebody want to flip to Romans 1.17? Oh, I got the Romans 1. All right. Somebody want to take Galatians 3.11? Got it. Cool. Is it Romans 1? one seventeen? So feel free to turn there also if you want. We're going to start with Romans 1:17. Otherwise, Matt will read that one. Um, so this one, so all all three of these are referenced from what Habakkuk said here in Habakkuk 2:4 of, but the righteous will live their faithfulness. Sorry, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So this is all about the just shall live by faith. And all three of these references in the New Testament that we're about to look at are all referencing this as well. So go for it, Matt. Uh, Romans 1, 17.
3: For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And while I'm on it, um, they have footnotes here for NIV um, that says one part is or is from faith to faith, and the other part is, um, it references back to back to four.
0: Cool. Um, Jackie, Hebrews 10.38. Or you want to do 30, uh, 35 to 38?
3: Sure. Go for
5: it. It says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away.
0: And Galatians 3.11.
6: Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith.
0: Hmm. And I want to double check. Righteous through faith, just by faith. Today's your version, um, verse of the day, is actually Romans 5, 1, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which hits on this also. Um, well, I mean, you know, they talk about, uh, the other reference was Romans 1, 17. this is 1, 5, um, sorry, no, different chapter, my bad. Romans 5, verse 1, the verse of the day today, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the lyric to one of the songs that we were worshiping. By Jesus Christ
5: the righteous, the Yes. justified.
0: Yes. That was unplanned by us. <laughs> by Jesus Christ the righteous, I am justified. The just shall live by faith. I feel like God is really honing into something here today. Because I have that part Planned. I didn't know what the verse of the day would be today. I didn't know what song they were going to sing today. So I want to stay here for a minute. What does this mean? The just shall live by faith. First, let's start at the first part. What does that mean, the just? Correct. Correct? So a word, 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 word. <laughs> what else? Who who are the just, or what does it mean to be just?
5: So just, or I mean righteous. I don't know if you can use them interchangeably. Hmm. Maybe you can, but righteous, at least according to Oxford Dictionary, means of a person's <laughs> conduct, morally right or justifiable, virtuous, very good, excellent, mm. and I think to define it biblically, you're looking at how does God define what is excellent? How does God define what is very good? Mm. Um, and for me, when we talk, it reminds me of the verse in Philippians where it talks about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is. Um, Good, whatever it is, and you know a whole list of things. Like, think about these things, and then there's another place where it talks about keeping our eyes or our thoughts fixed on the things of heaven, not on the things of this world. So, for me, putting those things together, like to live righteously, is to believe in the things of heaven and to desire those things, and to desire what is noble, what is pure, what is right, what is admirable. All those things and, and wanting to embody that. When Pastor Greg at church talked about clothing ourselves with tender hearted mercies, walking humbly. Um, like that to me is living righteously, <coughs> living according to the things that we know and can read and hear that are pleasing to God. That's, that's righteousness. Um, yeah.
0: There was something that you posted. Like last week or a few days ago from uh, Priscilla or something. Shire Do you remember what, what she was talking about there?
5: She, um, about unlocking the key, like prayer unlocks the keys to heaven and pushes darkness back. And there was more.
0: Maybe that, maybe, okay. I was thinking it was about that, but I think that was about one of my earlier points about, about prayer. Yeah. And, and kind I of shooting so. your arrow. I think it was. Okay, that's what it was. But I like that too, and that that was kind of what I was thinking of, like something that connected with that of mm-hmm. of prayer unlocking,
5: like the keys to heaven and the spirit. Like if we want to see miracles, like prayer. prayer is our gateway mm-hmm. to those kinds yeah. of
0: things. And that's it was. That was our yeah, that's thing what
5: of getting, getting
0: that out. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've got a good grasp on just and and by definition, it's kind of you know morally right and. What we're looking at, at, what is morally, isn't by man's moral standards. It's God's moral standards, um, which man gets, okay, we, we like this of, you know, killing is bad and helping people is good based off of what God says to do and not to do. So the just, okay, we got that part of that um, down. The just shall live by faith. What does that mean to live by faith? I think this is a lot easier said than done and a lot I, I feel like we're all like, oh yeah, yeah, live by faith, but like, how do we break this down? How do we, how would we describe to a non-believer what it means to live by faith? Because this is a very Christianese phrase. Oh, just live by faith. Oh, not by sight. Not by sight. Well, I, a whole
7: system of belief is based on uh, it's based on someone that we can't see mm-hmm. and everything that he holds valuable. Which also it's not what the world holds valuable. So by you know the the definition in Hebrews, faith is the certainty of things that you can't see, but you hope. Hmm. You can hope for things that are not here. That's what we live by faith is. You're living by things that are not in front of you, that the world is acting completely against, and you see people doing all sorts of evil things and you know apparently getting away with them. But like you still hold on to that moral that is based on Christ. And you're you're holding on, like, your heart on the what Jesus told you to do, what the Bible tells you to do, even though there's not a direct reward. It's not like, you know, a little life that you get or a little gift that comes to your door. Mm-hmm. But in your heart, you know that there's a judge above everything, a God above everyone. And although you can't see him, and although you can't see what he's doing behind everything you will act according to what you believe that, who you believe he is and what you believe he's about. So it's not what you see, it's just what you believe that, who God is, and you just follow that instead of what's right in front of you.
3: Like I said behind, like he's working behind the scenes, like I think of that all the time where it's like, we kind of talked about it last week a little bit, if you're waiting for an answer, um, we said it best in verse two back in chapter one, where it's how long must you call for help? But you don't get a response, or there's no one listening when you need it the most. So, definitely kind of flashback a little bit, but still, mm-hmm. you hear him, you know, doing the complaining, and then as we're diving into the part where he's answering, you're like, okay, there's actually a conversation happening here. Mm-hmm. It's not just, whoosh, it's not just going one way, to just sits, like you said, with the arrow. It's the best way to describe that when you shoot and you want to, like, hit the target, or it's like, are you going to hit something, or is it just going to fly in the wind? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> something you were just saying, Ana, just reminded me of uh, a quote that I found by A.W. Tozer this week. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I saw it that recently. That might have been It was me. I, I mean, I posted You may have seen it elsewhere, too. Yeah, I, but I heard, <laughs> I heard it on the radio. I looked it up, and I was reading a little bit about that. And I thought it was so interesting. What comes into our minds, me personally, what comes into my mind, when I think about God, is the most important thing about me. Because if, to you, God is a dictator, and he just wants control, he just wants to have you know control over everyone and everything because he's a, a mean God, he just likes to have everyone as their little puppets, well, that's going to tell who you are. It's going to tell that you anything that you do is only because you feel like you're being controlled by him. It, it'll, it'll tell you who you are because of, of how you think of God. If what comes to your mind when you think about God is, God, you are just so amazing. You are so grace, grace, gracious. I was going to say grateful. You're so gracious. You are so merciful. You are so just. If those are the things that come to your mind and the list goes on and on, that tells someone everything they need to know about you. I mean the the question that was lingering all through John, the book of John that I kept asking, that it seemed like everybody was asking. Does anybody remember that question? Close. Close. Where where? Well, no. It was it was who is Jesus to you? Oh, right. that, that was what I was going for. Those aren't <laughs> wrong, but like the question of who, who is good, good question. Good question. Yeah, that was that was post John. That was that was as we were getting into Job and Habakkuk. Where are you and where were you? Um, but yeah, good 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 memories on that. But who is Jesus to you? It was a question everybody was asking Jesus, like who are you? And he was like, who do you say I am, and then the. Now, yeah, yeah. Who are you? <laughs>
6: <laughs> Justified.
0: Two boys for Jack. Or more boys for Jack. Well, don't get prideful now. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah. you succeeded.
6: There's your reward. I think it's interesting that verse 1 through 3, I feel like, for me, is what I would define as faith to somebody who doesn't understand what faith is, to somebody who doesn't hmm. have the same perception of Jesus. Like, I'm going to stand at my watch and station myself here. I'm going to look and see what he's going to say, and I'm and whatever answer he's going to give. And at the same time, the response is, write it down, make it plain, so that a herald may run with it, somebody who's going to go and spread the message. Like, what they're saying, is, as you were saying earlier, that this herald is running away from the coming doom. Like, did... He's going in the exact opposite direction of what the nation is. I'm surrounded by all this evil, but I'm going to stand and wait for your response. And I'm going to, you know, even though I can't see it, I know it's coming. Even Mm -hmm. though I don't see what's coming, even though I can't justify your answer, even though I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, I have trust that you're doing the right thing. And I'm just going to keep doing what you've called me to do in that way.
5: Hebrews 11, 1, says faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. And the implication in that verse is that we can't see them, but we trust in A, who is giving the direction, who is guiding and directing us, but also we trust that what he is saying, what his decisions are, what his guidance is, is is good and it's going to be for our good mm-hmm. and it goes Hebrews I think is the great chapter of faith like that's 11 specifically talks about great examples of faith and it goes through Abraham and all of those mm-hmm. people and Isaac and everybody and 17 specifically verse 17 it talks about it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac mm-hmm. as a sacrifice right going back to that story of like how does it even make sense God how you gave me this promise and now you're taking it away seemingly mm-hmm. according to what we with our limited eyes can see it's going away. It doesn't make any kind of sense. But he had the faith in the, who he followed that somehow, some way, some shape or form, you're going to bring to pass exactly what you promised me and it's going to be good and it's going to continue and endure. Like that, without trust, there is no possibility for the faith that we have. We have to be able to trust who, I would even argue, trust first. Like faith. Like you can build that, and you will build that, but without trust, it's not possible. You can't, and you can't have it without yeah, trusting for sure. who you are having faith mm-hmm. in. Why am I going to put my faith in somebody that I can't trust? Yeah. I won't. Like that's for me. That's
0: what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So verse eight. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on here. This is great discussion. Um, I feel like we to stay here for the rest of Bible study, but. Um, let's, let's move on a little bit here verse 8 uh, here God is assuring Habakkuk that he knew how to deal with nations like Babylon he promised the Babylonians he promised the Babylonians that just as they plundered many nations so one day others would plunder them and this shows justice this shows a just God now God is merciful and he's just and a lot of times they don't go hand in hand. When you know a judge here on Earth will either be merciful, all right, you know, even though you're guilty, just just serve some some uh, some some time and uh, do some community service hours, and you're good to go. That that would be pretty merciful for someone who just committed murder. And something that would be just is you're going to spend a lifetime in prison, and that would be just. He got what he deserved. But God is that balance. God is the perfect balance of being merciful and just. There's going to be a whole other series on its own, but um, God is showing justice here. That Babylon, yes, I'm going to use them, but they're not just going to get away with it. They, they will have to face the consequences to their actions. Alright, so there are five woes, not woe, but woes, W-O-E-S. There are five woes, or sorrows, here um, in Habakkuk 2. The first one we, we read already in verse 6. Uh, NLT will read, what sorrow awaits you. What sorrow awaits you thieves. Others might say, woe to the dishonest, woe to the greedy, uh, what else does it say out there for verse six, or is that it? Um. Who? What? Who? Uh, six at uh, two, two six.
3: It was his own story about taunting.
0: You'll see woes.
3: Oh um, all but we said well a extortion, but then we said stealing. I think that might be
0: okay. I think it might just be dishonest yeah. or greedy. This
2: says woes. To
0: him
4: who heaps
0: up what is not his own. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All can pretty much be, I guess, condensed down to greedy. Woe to the greedy. <laughs> so, there... Oh, man, I don't know if we can get to all this. Uh... <sighs> No, 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 Where you no, no, go, Jackie? That, Did you read the word? <laughs> <laughs> the
4: king's James says, Woe to him that increases that which is not his.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Luke 12 has um, a parable of the rich fool, which I'm going to kind of read quickly or skip around a little bit. Um, Luke 12, 13 to 21... Um, this is to go along with the woe to the greedy. This is Luke 12:13, parable of the rich fool. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus re- replied, <laughs> friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down all my barns and build a bigger one. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and all my goods. Then I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you've had stored enough away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, this person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Woe to the greedy. Woe to the one who piles up everything they can here on earth. Why? You might die tonight. And then what? You wasted all your time gathering all this stuff, but you've got no relationship with God. And Habakkuk is talking about... uh, No, we'll move on. Um, Let's go 9 through 14. Who wants to take that?
3: I'll take it. Is it still Luke?
0: Um, Habakkuk. Hold on. Let me give someone else a chance. If if they want. I appreciate it, though. (laughs) Anybody want to take um, Habakkuk 2, 9 through 14?
1: Take it. Go for it. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, to place his nest on high, to escape from the reach of disaster. You have planned shame for your house, by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall, and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, and founds a town with injustice. It is not from the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor only to feel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. Awesome.
0: All right, um, can you read the first sentence of verse 9 again? What the woe is?
1: Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape from the reach of disaster.
0: And then can you read what the woe is in 12?
1: Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice.
0: Cool. So I know there are other translations, and a lot of them are they're, they're lengthy. But to simplify it, I'm going to call it in verse nine, "Woe to the exploiters," and in verse twelve, "Woe to the violent." Uh, a reference to for woe to the violent, Psalm one twenty-seven one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it in labor, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So yeah, you can plunder a town, you can murder and have corruption, and and you can take over all these places. But woe to the violent, because unless the built the Lord built this house, and I think that's a song. Unless the Lord built this house, it is right. Yeah, yeah. Or is it the Lord built this house, and nobody house. will tear this down? Mm-hmm.
3: Tear it down Yep, that's it That's it A
2: big, big house Ooh, yeah. lots and lots of room
0: <laughs> What do you guys think we'll about uh, 9 through 14? Thanks, Zach That was in my head
5: You're welcome Years ago, was this written, and it hasn't, it hasn't changed. Like that's still the the legacy that is waiting for these people and these nations that are perfect, um, Hope you know. We hope and pray that it's not the people that we, the message mm-hmm. of God, is reaching people to change nations, and we can pray that that be the case. And hopefully we do. But this. It's
0: still so real. Yeah. Who wants to read? Oh, actually, no. Verse 14. What do you guys think about this? For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. This was also one of the Bible mm-hmm. verse of the days just this past week or maybe two weeks ago. For as the waters fill the sea... Well, the waters do fill the sea pretty abundantly. So, as there is water in the seas, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord.
6: Whether by our hand or His, whether it's through our words and us reaching lost people or through His, or through his return when there is no more hope for them like the earth will know his glory at some point Mm -hmm. nobody knows the date or the time but at some point in the end
0: yeah and it doesn't say you know every knee who believes in God and every tongue who believes in God will will confess not every knee will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord that's Psalm 2 and it's (laughs) I think that's what this is speaking of the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord those who right now are claiming to be atheists or agnostics or Buddhist or any other religion or lack of religion out there, one day, might not be you know, tomorrow, might not be 100 years from now, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Those who rebuke the name of Jesus and will never speak of Jesus will one day bow down and confess, you are Lord.
7: Mm. What huge words that came out. So he's saying, you know, no one who does the do these evil can escape them. Like what goes around comes around. You do evil, it's gonna come back to you. You do these uh, injustices, it's gonna come back to you. You're gonna be punished. And as you know, there's water on the sea. Nobody can escape from this. So it doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter what you do. How powerful you are, you are going to respond to what the Lord said you're
4: going to respond. Yeah, it's good. I uh, have a comment on that. Yeah. So on, in verse 13, there's a connection between the verse 13 and then 1 Corinthians 3.13. It's kind of funny, verse 13, I didn't realize that. But it says, Behold, it is not that the Lord of hosts, the people shall labor in, in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very faintly. They talked about fire, how their labors will be tested by fire. Mm-hmm. And in 1 Corinthians 3.13 also says... Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring, bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So I just think it's interesting how they're both... I don't know if they're talking about the same thing, because I think in First Corinthians they're talking about salvation... As was, everyone will build and have labors in this world, but it will all everything will be tested by fire, and that when it says in, in the NIV version, it says that it will be fuel to the fire. That you're that all all this work that the nations are doing, that that is built on bloodshed, all the violence, it's built on that. It's just you're building, you're just putting fuel to your own damnation, your own fire, the fire that will come and test them. And I just think it's. No, it's the same, it's it's the same good, thing good. with the actions that we do here on the not. I don't well, think it's actually just talking about I built a house that's what's being right. tested mm-hmm. yeah. it's talking about the works your works your yeah. your labors everything you've ever done and all your actions will be tested by fire and that fire will either burn it or not yeah uh,
0: let's go 15 let's finish it out 15 to 20 who wants it 25 pen points.
2: I will take it. Go for it. Give me those pen points. <laughs> right. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. <laughs> the cup in the Lord... is. <clears throat> the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its marker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its marker, trusts in its own cre- in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him.
3: Wow.
0: Good ending there. In verse 15, woe to the drunk. And woe, uh, the fifth woe, verse 19, woe to the idolater. What sorrow awaits you to the idolater. For the drunk, the Lord rebuked both the drunk and those who promoted drunkenness. So the one who said, here, take this. Mm -hmm. And the one who took it and became drunk. They both thought that alcohol would make them feel good. And God rightly says that they were filled with shame instead of glory, both of them. The drunk and those who promoted drunkenness loved their own cup full of drink. Now, God promises a cup for them, a cup of judgment, and just, uh, yeah, a cup of judgment. Uh, I'm going to read quickly here in Galatians 5, 19. through When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful desires, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is where we get into the fruit of the Spirit. But, so all that was, it's not if you do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. It's if you follow the sinful desires of your heart, it will be these things. Essentially the same thing, but just to make that distinction there. But, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So the the difference with the drunkard, the idolater, the violent, the exploiters, the dishonest, the greedy—all these woes, all the so what sorrow awaits you. The sorrow is you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The result of you following your sinful desires will look like impurity and idolatry and drunkenness on all these things and the fruit of the spirit which is I think so often misunderstood of like oh like let me I I should be joyful Let let me try to be joyful today it's not that's not it that's not what the fruit of the spirit is it's the fruit of a Orange tree is oranges because that's who it is. It is an orange tree. The fruit of the Spirit are these things. If you have the Spirit inside of you, your fruit is love. Love will just be produced from you and joy will be produced from you because that is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. Through it all, the point is proven. Habakkuk couldn't understand why God would judge a sinful nation. By an even more sinful nation. Judah's like, why are you going to judge us, Judah? By an even more sinful nation, Babylon. Yet God reminds Habakkuk of his own wisdom and strength, and of his ultimate triumph over the wicked. God knew that Babylon was filled with the proud, the greedy, the violent, the drunk, the idolater. And the Lord knew how to deal with them all. So... How does God's responses answer the concerns of Habakkuk? Or what lessons should we learn from them?
4: I just thought of this question. I don't know if this answers that. But more. How the right answering a question, answer. question with a question? Yes, mm-hmm. I like, I like it. It. Good. With the yes. Go for it. So do you think, like, so when Habakkuk, because it just kind of hit if he's asking all these questions, like, why are, like, like when you just said, why are you sending more simple people to, like, punish us for sinning? Like they like, it's kind of like counterintuitive almost. And then God gives these like kind of not vague, but kind of just plain answers that are or visions I guess it was like, that I didn't know but they are visions. What are like what do you think he was going like through his head like or do you think that God was giving them if if I'm giving like you said like the greedy, the the violent, all these different woes, He was giving them to him also to say, if you're afraid now, why are you afraid? Do you think you're greedy? Do you think you're violent? Do you think one day at the end you will be judged of this of these sins? Or, or are you my chosen people? Are you Israel? Are you my promised people that are you going to be better? Maybe that's the lesson he's trying to teach him that these Babylonians are coming to do that they will be these people, but are you also the same people? Like how much different are you mm-hmm. from these people that are coming to do wrong to you? Right. How much more so, like, with, like, the suffering of Christ. Or, like, how Jesus prayed. Like, how much more so then should we pray? Or how much more so will we suffer as he, like, sometimes like in my own, i have like, man, Jesus was hung on a cross. Hope I never get hung on a cross. But, like, why do, I, why do I have that pride that I think I shouldn't be hanging on a cross? That I shouldn't suffer, that I shouldn't be spat on? That I shouldn't be mocked or persecuted. I think that's kind of what the message he's trying to send in the book right now. I, yeah. It,
2: I promise this will. I'll, I'll. bring this train around. Um, so <laughs> yeah. when it comes to, like um, it's not going to be that long.
3: I pro- <laughs> it's, for, for me especially, it's not going to be very long at all.
2: Um, so, like when it comes to, so again going back to what C.S. Lewis said, I didn't read this part, but. He talks about the pride, you being able to tell, a, a good uh, metric for how much pride you have is how much you don't like pride in other people. How mm-hmm. much does it bother you when you see it in someone else will tell you how much pride you have. It's <laughs> like, how much does it bother me when somebody else says, oh no, you, you're you here or whatever, and then I'm up here, um, and then you'll realize it. And so... I, I realized more and more, because I had I had an issue a few years back of, uh, we'll say, let's say I was playing um, a football, right? So I'm playing football with somebody. If, if I run a bad route or if I don't run my route properly, uh, I don't mind somebody that knows what they're talking about coming up and saying, hey, you know, like, you should fake better when you cut or whatever. Um, but if somebody... Doesn't isn't as good as me, right? Or isn't as uh, as doesn't know what I know, and isn't as capable of running a route. Uh, them saying, "Hey, you know, you should do this when you run a route," would be like, "I, you aren't that good, <laughs> like, yeah, right?" Um, and so, I I it came, it it came up as an issue, and it's it's funny because I was going through mere Christianity uh, when I was having this issue with someone. Um, it wasn't about football routes and stuff like that. But I realized that my issue was not with... There was someone that was constantly correcting me, that I felt I was better capable. Uh, I was more capable than they were. Mm-hmm. And I was I was better than they were at this specific task. Um, yet they were constantly correcting me because they had blah, 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 such and such experience and blah, blah, blah. Not like you... You're, you're terrible at this. <laughs> you have no room to talk. Uh, but my issue wasn't with them speaking ignorantly. My issue was them saying, was them telling me what to do because who are they to tell me what to do, right? Was my mindset. And, and I realized that while they were not being, they were not right, I was wrong. And the realization that those things are not—it's—it's it's not an either-or situation, and so I had to address that myself. And as a result, it—it it, uh, it cleared up a lot because I didn't have—I didn't have to respond to that in the same way that I had been. And being like, "Oh man, I'm so frustrated with you every single time that I have to see you and we have to have this conversation and do this whole thing." Now I was able to be like, "Okay, you know what? You're probably right. I probably could do that." A little bit better. That's okay. And it was because I removed the, the pride in that particular area. Got plenty of it other places. Um, cool. Working on it. But because I removed it in that particular scenario, it
1: helped uh, resolve it. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but it reminds me of the verse that, like, we shouldn't move to take a speck of dust out of a brother's eye before first yeah. taking the plank mm-hmm. out of a mm-hmm. eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. It was great that you said that because I had a similar experience with my brother where we were at, at the bar and, actually, you were on your cruise and we were having this serious conversation. The other guy was saying something about like, oh, if you're not baptized this certain way, you're going to hell.
7: <laughs> and I was
4: like, I was like, well, what about, and then I, I, I couldn't think of like a good example that I kept writing out different scriptures and everything. I kept thinking of a good example. But then a lady was like, oh, the thief on the cross. And I was like, perfect example. Thank <laughs> you like, That's a wonderful example. He was a example. Jesus literally looks at him and says, you will be saved. But then the other guy was like, well, oh, I don't believe in you. He was like, well, then you won't be saved. Yeah. But then so forth. We were having this conversation, and my brother said something like, like, like he kept trying to intervene, and I kept hitting this nerve. And I kept thinking, oh, it's because of him. It's because of him. But I have this pride that because he may not know as much as I do. Mm-hmm. But because he, he asked this question, he was like, "Did they cut Jesus' hair when he was crucified?" Like out of nowhere, and I was like, "And I don't know why, but I was like, I was like, what?" I was like, what? <laughs> and I told him, I said, "What a dumb question!" <laughs> and like it shut him down, and like immediately right when I saw the shutdown of his head, it made me. It I mean I'm not even lying. It it turned my blood into water, because I felt I felt faint. I was like. That was horrible i was like i should not have said that mm-hmm. like that was just straight that was wicked and like i then like i had like a whole 20 minute conversation with him it was like hey please tell me please i want to answer your question i want to answer your question because I, was, like, I felt so bad i wanted to make that wrong right mm-hmm. but i that where that pride line it wasn't mm-hmm. that he asked that question it was that like i thought that was a dumb question mm-hmm. when we like, i don't even think about it but in reality it does say that they cut his hair well. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Because you think of the song, was, we had this whole conversation about it, and I was like, if I didn't have that pride there about why hmm. the X is to me was a dumb question at the time. And I, but right when you said that, I really, yeah, yeah, cool. Really well, that's fine. Okay. Awesome.
0: Any final thoughts and anything from the of two so far? This was good. I can't wait to see what next is. <laughs> the third, third one. Cool. Cool. I can read my quick. It'll be
5: quick. Yeah. Just the study summary. From the book but I think it sums up what we talked about pretty well why do you allow injustice Habakkuk asked God why do you tolerate evil God did not answer Habakkuk's questions directly instead much as he did with job God gave Habakkuk a vision of his deity whether or not the prophet understood God's ways he could safely trust him hmm. Habakkuk's questions echo in the hearts of all god-fearing people the book of Habakkuk does not offer easy answers to the problem of evil in the world instead, It gives sound reasons to exercise faith in the sovereign, holy, and just God who will ultimately bring justice to his world.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great.
5: Did you write that? No.
0: (laughs) Good job. Yeah, that, that hits it right on the mark. Just like Job, it doesn't answer the hard question, but the easy answer is faith. Faith.
5: Mm-hmm. It's
0: easy. easier said than done simple,
5: simple but not
0: easy the answer is faith it'll take your entire life to figure it out to not figure it out take your entire life to walk it out. by yeah. faith, to yeah. do it cool good stuff guys nice. mm-hmm. Gary thank you so much for this awesome discussion um, I just want to lock the doors and keep everyone talking. We just I feel like we just keep going all night. Um, just keep talking and just have great discussion. And I know that you're in the middle of this. Thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for speaking to us here. Help us to be able to trust in you. To have faith when we don't know what to do. To have faith in you when things don't seem fair. When things wouldn't and aren't playing out the way that we think that they should because that's what this is all about having faith that you've got this under control that your ways are higher than our ways that your thoughts are better than all th- our thoughts and that you know what you're doing you know how to deal with us you know how to deal with those who are just and unjust and you know what you're doing thank you so much because I feel like a lot of times I don't know what I'm doing in fact like a lot of us feel like we don't know what we're doing and it takes so much burden off of us to know that you know what you're doing. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time and God's presence is with us. I
1: hope you enjoyed it. And that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.